Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What up? My name is Josh J1 Rayford, Vice President of Music Programming for Pandora, and I just jumped off the porch with Dirty Glove Bastard. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Yes, sir, yes, sir. We got J1 jumping off the porch with us, Vice President of Music Programming at Pandora. What's up, bro? How you feeling today? Man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling blessed. Thank you for having me on your platform, man. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Nah, it's definitely a pleasure. Um, definitely want to, you know, tap in with you. Um, we, you know, want to have people on the porch who, you know, people in the industry outside of artists, you know, execs, you know, to be able to tell their stories and share their stories because we also have followers that, you know, aspire to be managers, execs, and just understand like the other side of the game. Nah, I appreciate that, man. Thank you again for giving me this opportunity because like you said, there's a lot of people out there that might not be an artist or might not have the talent to sing or rap or even produce or anything like that, but they still want to be around music. They still feel like they have something to contribute. And that was me growing up. No, for sure. So for sure. I appreciate this. So um, how was it, you know, like being in a growing up in a place so diverse, you know, like, you know, I've lived in New York and mm -hmm. it's just so interesting to me just how diverse it is. Just like you said, I mean, easily from one block to the next, you know, yeah. different cultures, you know, you, you're just seeing so many different things. Yeah, I mean, New York is definitely a melting pot. But me and my friends, we joke all the time. There's two types of people in New York. There's those that grow up in New York, leave and never come back. I'm probably one of those. Like I come back for business and stuff or if there's something going on. But then there's those that stay there their whole life and they're just New Yorkers till they die. And I got friends like that as well. Um, but again, I, I value my, my experience up there because you just see so many different backgrounds, whether it's black, Hispanic, Asian, uh, white, and you get to see them at all different types of income levels. Like I went to all different types of schools. I went to public schools and Catholic schools. And the stereotype growing up is you, you think all white people got money. But I went to school with, with white boys because I, I, I went to an all boys Catholic school in high school. And their parents were just trying to make ends meet like everybody else. So, you know, you see people from all walks of life yeah, we have our differences in our culture, but then we have those things that unite us, whether it's our spirituality, um, our beliefs, you know, uh, where we come from, and just our core values. Mm -hmm. And you realize once you get past like skin and race that 
there aren't too many differences in certain people. Right, right. Um, what kind of kid would you say you were like growing up? Like what, what were you into? More the arts, sports? I was into all that. Like I played sports in high school. I loved music. I mean, I grew up uh, listening to like a lot of Motown stuff because my parents loved Michael Jackson. They loved Prince. They loved Temptations, all that, the Supremes. Mm. So I would listen to them on vinyl. Mm. And, you know, growing up back then, the way that you got new music was the mixtape game. So I grew up listening to like DJ Clue mixtapes and DJ Envy and DJ SNS. So those were the guys that kind of really inspired me to get into DJing at an early age. And then, you know, later on, I started seeing people like Sean Combs and Dave Dash and all these young black music execs. Cause I love music, but I couldn't rap. Mm. I didn't, I couldn't dance. I didn't have those type of talents. That's why I was like, I'm a DJ. Yeah. But I kind of saw myself when I saw them because these guys were calling the shots. They were establishing businesses, but they were still living the lifestyle. They were still flashy. They talked like me. They dressed like me. They came from my neighborhood. So I said, why, why can't that be me? Why can't I be a black executive in the music game one day? All right. That's what's up. So when did you first uh, fall in love with hip hop? Do you know like when you first like really tapped into the culture? Man, I, I was a little kid. Uh, there was a song, I forget, it might have been by like, like the Fat Boys and I, I couldn't have been no more than like <laughs> two or three at the time. But the hook went, you talk too much. Oh boy, you never shut up. <laughs> and that's all I remember. And I remember singing that. And my grandmother was in the car visiting from North Carolina. And I kept singing it. And my dad, like, he got so mad. <laughs> I think he wanted to throw me out the car oh, and stuff. Man. But I didn't know no better. I just liked the song. And it, the hook was easy to remember. So as I was growing up, I just loved all types of, uh, of hip hop. Of course, back then, East Coast hip hop was so dominant and West Coast, of course, but I, I grew up listening to like Tribe Called Quest and Buster Rhymes and Wu-Tang Clan and Nas and Mob Deep and of course the whole Bad Boy Revolution and then Death Row and stuff. Even though we was on the East Coast, I still love Tupac. I still love Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and all that stuff. Those guys were cool. Mm -hmm. I still, love looking at that, that picture of the source where it had the four of them, where it had Suge, Dre, Snoop, and Pac. Yeah. Like that's an iconic picture oh, right yeah. there. So, so those are the types of images in my head from my childhood that just attracted me to hip hop and the first ever Source Awards mm. where the beef between Snoop or, 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 or Death Row and Bad Boy, it really popped off on a national scale. Yeah. And that's when, you know, Suge was like, <laughs> bring that joint to death row. Right, right. You know, and Snoop was like, East Coast ain't got no love. <laughs> Coast, and then yeah. don't forget, remember, that's when, when Outkast popped off and said, yo, the South got something to say. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And I think that moment, that Source Awards, people talk about, oh, man, the beef and all that stuff. But it just, it really put hip hop on a national 
stage mm -hmm. where everybody could show the pride that they had in their area and their region. Yeah, Whether sure. you were from Cali or you were from Brooklyn, New York, or you were from Atlanta, mm -hmm. which is, it wasn't as established in the music game at the time on right. a national scale, but was still doing their thing in the culture, you know? Right. So th those were the moments for me, man, that, that just made me fall in love with it. It was, it was the music, but it was also the culture, the lifestyle. And I, I wasn't no street kid or anything like that. Like, I knew the street dudes, but that wasn't, that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. um, but I just loved hip hop culture, whether it was, whether it was gangster rap, whether it was just uh, lyricist or enlightening music. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was intrigued by it all. That's what's up. Um, what age were you when you jumped off the porch? When I jumped off the porch, yeah. what you mean? So, you know, we say when you jumped off the porch, that's like, you know, kind of when you come of age, when yeah. you, you know, like just sort of step away, like maybe from your parents, you know, tutelage and like, you know, step out there and, and you know, <laughs> become a man, you know, like, like man. a better words. I think that happens in levels. Uh, I mean, there's times all throughout my life where I've always been very independent. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to work and get my own money ever since like I was maybe seven or eight years old and me and my best friend, we had a Kool-Aid stand. Mm -hmm. So we selling Kool-Aid on the street for a quarter of a cup. Mm -hmm. Then fast forward, I did an internship uh, for the city of New York when I was like 13 years old, mm -hmm. making $75 a week. And that was a big deal to me at the time. Yeah. So. I've always been very independent in that aspect, even though I was blessed enough to grow up with both of my parents who are still alive to this day and I have a great relationship with them. But as a man, I always wanted to stand on my own two feet. Yeah. And I think my dad respected me more for it. Mm -hmm. Like he, he's always gonna love me as a son, but it's something different when you say, nah, dad, like I'm gonna I'm figure it out on my own. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think I had those moments all throughout like my life in high school, always working part time jobs between sports and extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think when I really when I when I moved to Atlanta, because I had never lived anywhere else except New York. Mm -hmm. I think that would probably be the biggest jump off the porch right. moment okay. in my life, because it was just uh, I was away from home. I was away from everything I knew, and part of me was scared, part of me was... At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Like, what did I get myself into? I should have went to like Howard or I should have went somewhere closer to, back to New York. I'm about 800 miles away and people talk funny down here. They say hello to you. I'm from New York. We don't talk to nobody. But it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because there were things that I learned in Atlanta as far as like Southern values and um, just common courtesies and stuff that I didn't really learn in New York. Uh, I was respectful, but mm-hmm. you don't talk to people like that. You mind your business and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just going, going to Morehouse, you meet brothers from all over the country. So that really exposed me to different types of music. Mm-hmm. I learned about Swisher House. Mm-hmm. I learned about Northern Cali uh, music, Too Short, E-40, the whole hyphy movement. I learned about like what they had going on in the Midwest, Chicago, Detroit. Um, you know, I learned about Three Six Mafia and Project Pat because mm-hmm. you grew up in New York at the time. You think the whole world revolves around New York, but when you get outside of New York and you learn that there are people from different cities that have different cultures of their own and different mm-hmm. music, you just learn to appreciate it more. So, for sure, moving out of New York, I, I'm always gonna love it. It's always gonna be like my hometown, but. That was probably the best thing that could have happened for him. Uh-huh. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, I think talking back about that Source Awards uh, moment, too, yeah. that we were talking about, you know, you kind of put that together with saying, you know, being in New York, sometimes you can, you know, be stuck kind of, you know, and thinking that, you know, or, or just stuck in that conundrum of, of, of New York. And I know those artists were all trying to make sure that their voices were being heard. Yeah. You know, just back on yeah. We it, no, it was, a, it was a big moment for hip hop. Yeah, it absolutely. will forever live in history. Yeah. And if you love the culture and love the music, go on YouTube and just watch that whole show. Don't even watch the clips from it. Watch the whole show, watch the whole experience. Because for me, I just remember watching it as a kid and just being in awe. Yeah. And I remember Bad Boy set when Puffy came out dancing and then B.I.G. and then Total and Craig Mack and all of them. Yeah. It's still, it, it still give me chills to this day. Yeah, no, for sure, man. So you moved to Atlanta. What made you come to Atlanta? You said, you know, you thought about it, at, you know, after the fact. And I was like, man, possibly, probably should have went to Howard. What made you come to Atlanta? Well, it was really, it was a couple of things. I knew I always wanted to go to a HBCU. I had a lot of friends that were already down at Morehouse. Mm. And you heard all these great things about Atlanta, how it's a party city. There's a lot of us down there. There's black people that are doing well. Mm-hmm. You heard about the stories of Freaknik and all these, uh, <laughs> all these tales of just like how Atlanta's so great. So I probably came down for all the wrong reasons instead of actually saying, okay, I'm going to this historic college that has produced... Uh, so many, so many excellent black leaders and stuff. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? 
Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, I was, that wasn't my mindset at the time. I was like, man, I'm ready to get out of New York. I'm going to Atlanta. <laughs> I'm going to get it popping down there. Yeah. And uh, when I got down there, it was actually a very humbling experience because New Yorkers, we can kind of have an arrogance about us to begin with. Mm-hmm. And coming down there, I was like, man, I'm going to be the man on this campus. Then you realize there's 800 other brothers that are coming from their cities that were also the men in their city. Mm-hmm. So they're like more arrogant or as cocky as you. And you start looking at yourself like, man, like I'm not as special as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what made my experience at Morehouse and what makes Morehouse so unique is that it's like, okay, you come down there and you see all these brothers down there and it goes back to that old saying that iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, man, these dudes are smart, they're educated, they're well-spoken. It made you step up your game. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, man, this dude is tight. I need to tighten myself up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he was my competition. It was just, it, it was more of an inspirational thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, I, you know, I didn't like it because <laughs> I was just like, what am I doing down here? I'm mm-hmm. away from home. Um, I felt like... I was still kind of in the hood because, you know, the West End back then ain't the West End it is today. So I was just like, man, maybe I made a mistake, but uh, I'm glad I stuck it out. I'm glad I didn't like transfer or run because I was uncomfortable. And it was probably one of the best decisions I could have made coming down here. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, So when did you... When were you able to tap into the music industry, like in terms of, you know, like, was that here in Atlanta? Like, yeah, did you get like so an I mean, I've always been tapped in. I was doing internships at record labels when I was in high school. Gotcha. So um, so I was always tapped in. And then my sophomore and junior year, I was a college rep for Warner Brothers Records. OK. And then I was throwing parties on campus my my junior and senior year. OK. So I was always plugged in with like entertainment and uh and the music business mm-hmm. one way or another I, I couldn't get away from it even after i graduated and i was working like a regular nine to five i was still like djing on the side so there was always something in me that knew i was supposed to be around music one mm-hmm. way or another okay word, word. um what do you uh let me ask like in terms of um you know your thoughts on, you know, when you were consuming music, like, you know, back then, like, and, you know, like with mixtapes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in college and things like that. And like, even how people are consuming like music now, like, yeah. do you, like, how do you feel like the big difference is, you know? I mean, we was burning stuff off of Napster at the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm probably showing my age, but <laughs> that was like my first streaming experience. Yeah. And but it was so cool because, again, I was being exposed to all these different regions mm-hmm. and all these new artists that weren't getting played in New York outside mm-hmm. of Outkast and outside of what you heard from, like, Death Row. Mm-hmm. When I would download mixtapes and bring them back home when I would come home for, like, summer or winter break, my friends would be like, what, what, what are you listening to? What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, bro, this is... This that Trick Daddy. This uh-huh. that this that Project Pat. What right. you ain't up on Project Pat? Like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be bumping it all all in my car in my room, and yeah. they're like, they turn that 
off. Uh, <laughs> masters of but wine. now it's like everybody loves Southern hip hop. Oh yeah. No, so it's sure. become a melting pot. But yeah, that was like my, my first experience actually with like streaming and music. Okay. No, that's what's up. That's what's up. Um, so I know that you, uh, I know that you um, started out as a DJ yeah. and I want to ask you, um, how did you tap into like getting into radio and then you were a program director as well? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, you know, it, it was all God. I tell people all the time, the most important relationship that you could have is with God, yourself, and then others. Mm -hmm. Gotta have that relationship right. So when I, w when I graduated, the job market really wasn't all that good. So I was working like part-time jobs, waiting tables, um, I think I sold insurance, doing mortgage sales, all that stuff. And then the housing market went bad. The company I was working for shut down. So my plan was I was going to DJ part-time, find a part-time gig, and then go to grad school. Mm -hmm. But DJing just picked up so much for me. I was DJing pretty much seven nights a week mm -hmm. in the clubs and stuff. I wasn't doing like a lot of the big mainstream clubs at the time, but mm -hmm. I, I was doing some significant parties and my name was getting out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, man, I, I need to... I need to somehow figure out how to get on radio. So at the time, there was only two stations in Atlanta, V103 and Hot 107.9. So I was just very aggressive as far as like hollering at people from both stations, just trying to get an opportunity. And I was fortunate enough, or God put me in a position that I met Rashawn Ali. We were DJing, I was DJing a party that she was hosting. Okay. And I established that relationship with her and uh, you know, she saw something in me and I was just like, look, I just need an opportunity. And she introduced me to Emperor Cersei at the time and really vouched for me. Mm -hmm. Emperor Cersei was the mix show coordinator over at Hot 107.9. And, um, you know, I never forget, like, this was 2007, mm -hmm. called me up like on a random 4th of July weekend was like, hey man, you want to come mix for us? And I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And that was like my first opportunity DJing on radio. And then the assistant program director at the time, Bill Black, he heard me and he was like, hey, let's set up a meeting and took me under his wing as like his intern. So I, I, I essentially started out as an intern. Okay. And, um, but once I got in there, I realized there was more to radio than just DJing. Mm -hmm. I saw, obviously you see the personalities, but I didn't really know what a program director was until I saw him and a man by the name of Steve Hegwood, who now runs Streets 94.5 mm -hmm. and I saw the influence and the power that they had. They were the ones calling the shots and controlling the music. Anytime an artist or a record label would come in there, they wasn't trying to talk to the DJs. They say what's up to them. They wasn't trying to talk to the personalities. They was trying to talk to the program director. And I said, okay, that's the seat I want to sit in. That's what I want to learn. So when I got in radio, when I got the opportunity, I just learned everything I could in the building, whether it was sales, promotions, programming, how to talk on the air, all that. I was mm -hmm. a sponge. And for my first four years, I wasn't even on payroll, but I was in that building so much, they, they swore, they was like, you're not on payroll, what? Mm -hmm. But I, I saw the opportunity and I saw how it could help me build my brand up. So that, you know, I kind of use that as example because a lot of people, I am not doing it till I get some money. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you gotta plant the seeds and you not, might not see the tree grow mm -hmm. for years. 
but it's getting those roots underground. It's getting that foundation. And then after years of watering it, taking care of it, taking care of the soil, sunshine, it'll sprout up. But because you put in that work, you got that strong foundation, that tree ain't going nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of people don't, uh, don't understand that. Like building that foundation is the most important thing. I mean, when it comes to so many things. Yeah, you know? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, uh, so once I got in, I worked my way up through the ranks and you know, everything from intern, on-air mixer, mm -hmm. assistant programmer, uh, on-air talent, then uh, I went back to grad school because I knew I wanted to get my MBA, so I did that. And then at the time, I didn't really know what my next step was. Mm -hmm. So like I prayed, I was just like, God, you know, if you still want me to be in this music business, by the time I graduate, if nothing is there, then, you know, I'll look at other opportunities. Mm -hmm. And my last semester of grad school, I'll never forget Bill Black, who was the assistant program director at the time, I didn't think he was going to leave because he loved Atlanta so much, but he ended up taking a job, an operations management job out in Cleveland, and then I got his spot. Oh, wow. And I was just like, okay, that's, that's when I really knew that, okay, I'm really supposed to be in this. Like, God got a, a purpose for me to be in this, in this business. And um, when I got the seat, I'm always thinking ahead. So I told my boss at the time, Hurricane Dave, I said, look, I'm gonna work my ass off, but don't expect me to be in this seat any longer than three years. Mm. I said, I'm gonna be looking to become a program director. And I just need to know what it will take for me to get to that level. Mm. And he said, I, will, I respect that. And he said, I'm gonna put you on the fast track. Mm. He said, we gonna go through the Hurricane Dave <laughs> School of Programming mm. and you know, you're gonna get the crash course. Mm. And uh, two and a half years later, that's when I got my first programming opportunity or program director opportunity in Indianapolis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's that was a long story. Sorry yeah, no, nah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, our, our followers, man, people, you know, want to hear these things. Man. Yeah. That's why it's so dope to have people like yourself on the porch to be able to tell your story because, you know, there, you know, for however many rappers, for however many, you know, singers that we have, we have other people like yourself, like myself, you yeah. know, people who grew up loving this culture, um, who want to know how to get in on the business side and on the other side of things. So, yeah, nah, definitely, man. Sharing your story is, is, is definitely, you know, um, valuable. Appreciate um, that, man. Yeah, for sure. So so you go to Indianapolis yeah. um, and then, <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm sure like because that's not like a like a market that you would you know, that's not like a popular market. So like, no. <laughs> so what, what was it? What was it like, you know, being there and, you know, being there? I'm, I'm sure you were able to I'm sure it was a totally different experience from being in Atlanta. At yeah. Time. And then again, at that time, I only lived in two cities at that point, mm -hmm. New York and Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And these were both top 10 markets. They're very big cities. But I knew I wanted to be a program director and my, my mentor or boss at the time told me, he said, look, if you want to be a program director, you're not going to get Atlanta off the rip. You're going to have to go somewhere, improve yourself. You're going to have to go to a smaller market. He said, I ain't going nowhere. I done paid my dues. I done worked all these markets. He's like, you got to go out there mm -hmm. and work on it. And I, and I received that. So I told him, I said, all right, well, I said, the next opportunity within the company 
that comes up that makes sense, uh, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And Indianapolis came up. Okay. And he's like, you going to go to Indy? I said, I'm going to go to Indy. I didn't know anything about the Midwest. Only thing I knew about Indianapolis was that the, the Pacers and the Colts were there. Yeah. That yeah. was it. I didn't know a single soul, but I was just going up there off of faith. And uh, I remember, like, when I moved up there, me and my pops drove the car up there, and then I flew him back to Atlanta. And then I think it, was, it had to have been, like, my third or fourth night there. I was still staying in a hotel because I, I didn't have my, my living space yet. It was the night of the 2016 election. Mm. And everybody was thinking Hillary was going to win, and then Trump became president. And I remember just being so, like, unnerved by it because I was in a state that I didn't know. I was in a city I didn't know, which was a very conservative and red state. And our vice president was governor there. Mm. So I would literally drive by his house and see all the secret service out there because he was the new vice president. Mm. And I was just like, what did I get myself into? That same feeling I had when I first went to Morehouse, <laughs> I had that same feeling like, man, I made a mistake. Why, why, what was I thinking about? Like, I should have just stayed in Atlanta. I was good. I was making money. I was DJing, yeah. man. I, I had, you know, I had a house. I had women down there and all, all types of stuff. But I knew, like, okay, when that fear comes, mm -hmm. it's either going to push you out or push you forward. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a great experience. I tell people all the time. I actually had a good time in Indianapolis. I met some really solid people out there. One thing about folks from the Midwest, they, 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 they either mess with you or they don't. There's mm -hmm. no like middle ground. Mm -hmm. What you see is what you get. They're, 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 they're real, they're authentic. And if you show them love, they're gonna show that same amount of love back. And that's what I really enjoyed about the city was just, the access that I got to everything and how quickly I was able to network and and gain those resources and, and, and establish those relationships. So it was a good time. Um, I still talked to a lot of staff up there. My general manager, uh, uh, who is a, a, a black man, very knowledgeable, and he really took me under his wing at the time, knowing it was my first program director experience and he would mentor me and mm -hmm. teach me moments and be like, okay, this is where you, you, you could have done this better. Or if you have a dispute with somebody, like this is how y'all need to work it out. Mm -hmm. So he was very patient with me because yes, I knew programming, but he would tell me this all the time. He's like, man, you're an excellent programmer, but you, you need to learn the politics of this. Mm -hmm. You need to learn like the business side, the ugly side that nobody really. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. 
It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. He wants to deal with, and that's what he really taught me. And uh, I'm, I'm always uh, thankful for that. But I was only in Indy for maybe eight or nine months. Okay. And I get a call from uh, the senior vice president of programming at the time. And he was just like, hey, we want to move you to D.C. Mm-hmm. And I was like, D.C.? I said, why y'all want to move me there? They said, well, we just let go of the current program director and we want you to take over. We think you being young, you would look at it through a different lens mm-hmm. and a different set of eyes and really just give the staff the leadership that it needed. And I told I was like, I got to think about that. Right. <laughs> they were like, what? This is D.C.? And like I said, yeah, this is D.C., but I still felt like I needed to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, D.C. is such a such a big market and it's such a historic market, especially when it comes to black radio. Mm-hmm. It's right up there with Atlanta. So there was part of me that just felt like I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but I prayed on it. I talked to a lot of my, my mentors and people in my circle. And they all disagreed, was like, this is a great opportunity. Um, and these types of opportunities don't come up too often. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I, I took the step, <laughs> a step of faith and flew my dad up again. I was like, hey, we, you got to help me move again. Right. And we made the drive from Indianapolis to D.C. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I was in D.C. for like two years. OK, that's what's up. That's what's up. So then from uh, from D.C., you moved back to Atlanta and transitioned uh, over yeah. to Pandora. Yeah. So when I was in, yeah, when I was in D.C., uh, you know, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I had my successes. I had my 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 losses or my lessons, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But it was a valuable experience for me because a lot of the 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 political side or the business side or the internal workings of a corporation, I really learned that in D.C. Mm-hmm. because you never really know how to work with a person until you work with a person that you don't necessarily like or that you disagree with. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough at that time, like, yeah, there was people that I didn't really rock with throughout my career, but... Mm-hmm. Still, it wasn't like on a level where I was on a leadership level, but being in a, a leadership level, being a program director and <laughs> you and another person don't see eye to eye, mm-hmm. but y'all got to work together. That was a valuable learning experience mm-hmm. because, again, it's easy to work with somebody that you like mm-hmm. or that y'all see the eye to eye, eye to eye or that you can compromise with. But working with somebody that's polar opposite of you, yeah. that as soon as y'all done working, you go your separate ways or mm-hmm. you went look at them. If you saw them on the weekend or say what's up to them, that's when, <laughs> yeah. that's when you know that uh, you've grown as a person. And no, that's definitely. what I really learned in D.C. Okay. was and not saying that everybody was bad, but um, there were individuals there that if I saw them today, we really wouldn't have nothing to talk about. Mm-hmm. But. I learned, okay, I still got to work with this person. Mm-hmm. I still got to respect this person. They got to respect me. And that is a, a lesson you got. You, you, I could take with me anywhere I go, mm-hmm. whether 
I stay in the company, I go to the company, I do my own thing, you're always gonna run across people that like you just don't like or just don't get along with. So, but, but at the time though, uh, this was like around 2017, Again, I, I, I'm always forward thinking. So I, I was thinking about what's my next move gonna be? Because one thing I, I hate is being or feeling complacent or feeling like, okay, I'm gonna do this job for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. No, I always wanna grow. I always wanna see what, what, what more is out there for me. Mm -hmm. So at that time I'm thinking about streaming mm -hmm. because streaming was already prevalent it was or it uh, had already like revitalized the music industry particularly hip hop mm -hmm. because there was a time that hip hop or, or uh the urban departments at the labels they were shrinking you probably know this Absolutely. You, you, I was you, working you, you, in them. you you was around during that time yeah, i was working and in the labels yeah mm -hmm. it, it was a it was a scary time for us because they hadn't figured out how to monetize streaming mm -hmm the litigation hadn't caught up to the technology. That's how it always is, right? And, <clears throat> and pop was re really prevalent at the time. Yep. So you had a lot of pop departments working hip hop records. You had a lot of hip hop artists that were getting on pop songs because yeah. that was the climate at the time. You had all the sub labels that had popped up in the 90s and early 2000s, they were shutting down. People were consolidating. So it was a very scary time for hip hop, but streaming really, revitalized uh, black music or, or, or urban music, whatever you want to call it, um, once they figured out how to monetize the technology. Right. So <clears throat> I was seeing all this taking place and the aha moment for me was like going out to these festivals mm -hmm. and seeing artists that I never really heard of um, and people were singing this stuff word for word and we weren't playing them on radio. Mm -hmm. They were getting Thirty to forty thousand dollars a gig mm -hmm. with not one song on radio, not mm -hmm. even mix show. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, what? There's a shift going on. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and if I don't get on this wave now, I, I I might be left in the dust. Yeah. So, I just started talking to people about like streaming, whether it was people at the labels, um, anybody that I knew that would talk to me, I would ask them like, yo, what's what's up with this streaming department or like, how does this work? Or, you know, how do you guys interact with your commerce team or what is digital marketing? And I was fortunate enough to meet, to meet Tuma okay. at the time. For those who don't know, Tuma to me is a genius. He yeah, was the, shout out to Tuma. <laughs> right. Shout out to Tuma. He was the, the pioneer of rap caviar yeah, on Spotify, but it wasn't that he just made rap caviar. He, pretty much went around to like different labels and mm -hmm. cities and artists and explained why playlisting is important, why streaming is important. And, I'll, gonna say and, I'll, and I'll say that he, uh, like yourself, was someone who came from, I mean, he was doing music video programming yes. like at MTV BET. Yeah. Um, I'd worked with him, you know, getting several artists, um, you know, like on MTV, on, on, you know, MTV jams, things like that. Right. Um, but no, most definitely like coming from that programming world, but then having the understanding of digital and streaming and being able to take that into the digital space. Yeah, no, a absolutely, man, absolutely. And, and shout out to Tuma once again, because he didn't have to talk to me, mm -hmm. but 
he actually, when like we talked on the phone, he was like, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of what you're doing in radio because he has roots in D.C., so he knew the station I was programming. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a good conversation. And I would just pick his brain. I would just ask him, like, what's the best way to go about getting into the streaming business? Mm-hmm. Or if I go on an interview, what are they looking for? What type of questions do they ask? And he just answered them for mm-hmm. me. And again, fast forward, I know, you know, this was one of the, those God moments where it was just divine intervention. I'll tell the long story because it, it really is kind of like crazy how God works. I was out in Oakland visiting my sister for the holidays like I normally do. Mm-hmm. And she was driving me back to the airport and I was flying out from Oakland. I usually fly, fly out of San Francisco, but for whatever reason, I was flying out of Oakland and we passed the Pandora building because Pandora was founded in Oakland. And you see like the big Pandora logo on the top of this building. I remember looking up, seeing it, and I was just like, oh, I didn't know Pandora was out here. And my sister was like, oh yeah, they were founded out here. And I didn't think nothing of it at the time. Mm -hmm. But a couple of weeks later, I get a call from one of my label, my label folks, and they were like, hey, Pandora's looking for a new head of hip hop your name came up, they're interested in talking to you, can we connect you with the hiring manager? And again, three weeks earlier, I had seen the Pandora logo, I saw the building, mm-hmm. and it was just like, God was just planting that vision in my head or giving me a preview of what was about to happen, and I didn't even know it. And I was just like, yeah, of course. So about 10 minutes later, the guy calls me, we have a great conversation. Then he had me interview with like six other people, I said, well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to fly out and meet everybody? (laughs) But this is how far ahead the curve they were. They were like, oh, no, we're going to use Zoom. Mm. This was before the pandemic. And nobody really was using Zoom or knew what Zoom was. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed, and then they made me an offer. And I found out that they had an office in Atlanta. Mm. And I told them, I said, I want to be based in Atlanta. And they said, well, we kind of were hoping that you would be based in New York or L.A., and I said, well, I'm definitely not going to L.A. No mm. knock on L.A. I'm just not a, a West Coast person. Mm. I can't see myself living out there. And I said, I'm not going back to New York. Mm. I love my hometown, but I, I don't want to live out there anymore. My parents had already moved to Atlanta. My friends, my family, mm. everything was down in Atlanta. I, I always knew I wanted to come back. So I said, look, let me go be in Atlanta. This could be a, an advantage for us. Mm-hmm because hip hop and culture is thriving in Atlanta and no, DS, no other digital platform or DSP has a, has a, a foothold down there. Which and makes I could, no sense. Right, <laughs> exactly. I said, I said, this is how we kind of changed the perception of Pandora. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when they interviewed me, they asked me, they was like, well, what do you think of the platform? And I said, well, I used to use it, but then I just switched away. It was like, well, why did you switch away? I said, I really don't know. It's just, I just started using other platforms. I said, if you guys hire me, I'll use it again. <laughs> and, um, and they respected my honesty, but they agreed. They said, okay, we'll let you be based in Atlanta. And um, called my pops again. I said, it's time, time, to, time to pack up the car. Let, yep. let, I'm, coming, I'm coming home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, made the drive down there. And this was in the beginning of 2019. And, um, you know, I just remember just being like, just so happy being back home, but being at home in a different capacity. Because mm-hmm. when I was in Atlanta, I was always DJing. Mm-hmm. I was always 
in the nightclubs and stuff. Mm -hmm. But coming back, I didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And I got to hang out with my friends. I got to... At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial watch sporting events or go out on regular dates and stuff. I yeah. felt like I felt like I was like getting a second chance at life and yeah. stuff. Not that I regret DJing because it opened up a lot of doors for me, but I also missed out on a lot. Mm. I missed out on seeing my friends get married mm. or um, hanging out for like a game night or something like that. Mm. Or if I if I was trying to date somebody, I'd be like, oh no, we gotta go early and then by the time eight o'clock rolls around, we done. I'm like eight o'clock, that's what we supposed to be going right, out. Right. So my life was completely different. Um, but you know, I still had that that nervousness mm -hmm. because it was something new. Yeah, I was learning new technology. I went from working in a predominantly uh, black company, uh, Radio One, mm -hmm. which you see a lot of us to a company where we were the minority. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of adjustments, but again, I'm glad God, God put me in that position yeah. and I made the move. What would you say was one of the biggest challenges uh, moving from radio mm -hmm. into um, working at a DSP? So for me, again, good programming is good programming, whether you're programming radio or streaming. So the programming part really wasn't the issue. It was kind of learning how things worked. Mm -hmm. Because as a program director, you have a lot of influence and power in other departments. Mm -hmm. So if I needed something from my digital team or I wanted them to post something, I'd be like, go ahead and post that. Like, oh, we need to launch this at this time. My same thing with my like the marketing team or promotions director. Mm -hmm. Need y'all to be out here at this. We're going to do this. Everybody just executes. So it was more of a it was more of a vertical hierarchy the way mm -hmm. things worked. But going over to a streaming platform, it's more it's more horizontal as far as like the structure. And Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Each department really has a say in what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. And I had to really learn, okay, I can't just dictate orders or give orders to these different departments. I have to work with them, collaborate with them, communicate with them, understand what 
their objectives are mm -hmm. and see how their objectives align with mine. Mm -hmm. And yes, it would be frustrating at times because like, I'm like, man, they don't get it. They not moving this fast to me. Like, mm -hmm. But once I realized, okay, I said, let me step back and just talk to this person and understand, okay, what do you, what do you see? Or why, why don't you think that's a good idea? And it, it really forced me to, to communicate more and step out my box more, which was a good experience. But that was like the main, main difference off the rip that I really had to adjust to uh, when I first got over there. But again, I'm, I'm thankful for it because it really helped like sharpen my skill set, especially my collaboration, uh, collaborating and, and communicating with other people. Okay, and so you started the uh, you you started um, something that was really dope here in Atlanta before the pandemic. The, yeah, uh, the playback uh, yeah. series, um, you know, with several artists. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, man. So the cool part about coming from radio into a streaming platform is, yeah, the streaming platform we have more data, we have more technology, mm -hmm. we're able to play more music and give opportunities to artists that might not get necessarily get a shot on radio. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the radio still is very con connected to the community. Mm -hmm. It's connected to the artists as far as the interaction that you have with the artists. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to bring those practices over to Pandora. Because mm -hmm. my, my thought was, and I got this from radio, especially radio in Atlanta, where you have four hip hop stations the music's going to be the music, right? Mm -hmm. We're all going to be playing Drake, Lil Baby, Megan Thee Stallion. Mm -hmm. We just might play it in a different order, but we're all playing the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of similar with the DSPs. We're all playing like the hits, mm -hmm. but what makes, what makes everybody different? When you're in radio, it's your personalities. It's how you show up in the community. It's the events that you do, the concerts that you throw. So I wanted to start doing stuff that, that kind of set us apart and allowed us to touch the culture and touch the community mm -hmm. and let, let the industry know and consumers know that Pandora is just more than an algorithm. There's actually people in there that are programming music right. that know, know what they're doing, that's connected with the culture. So. When I got there and I learned kind of how everything worked and got up to speed with like the tools and the technology, myself and uh, the industry relations rep at the time, uh, his name is Brian Calhoun, shout out to him because he taught me a lot too. Uh, we just basically was like, we're gonna open up the doors and whoever wanted a meeting with us, mm -hmm. whether they were an established artist or they were just somebody <clears throat> that was trying to figure it out, we were gonna give them time. And it wasn't about like, no money or anything or anything like that because you know can't charge people but we weren't charging people but we just wanted to let people know that you can come up here not only learn about pandora but we would talk to them about like just good practices in general mm -hmm. and again shout out to brian because like you he was in that digital space before digital was a thing so Absolutely. he was very knowledgeable and taught me a lot i was oh, learning yeah. in those conversations just by listening to him talk <clears throat> about uh, good streaming and digital practices mm -hmm. and things of that nature. So we started doing that <clears throat> and 
the playbacks kind of started organic because Common have reached out to us and said, hey, I want to come to the office and play y'all some music. So Brian was like, well, why don't you just play it in front of the whole office, right? In front of the staff. So I said, yo, that'd be cool. I said, man, who's going to host it? I said, you know what? We should get drama to host it. Hmm. And, uh, and I'd known drama for years and like somebody who I look up to and hmm. still look up to. I, said, I was like, man, that'd be dope if we get drama out there. And drama was cool with it. He was like, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to Common. So that was like the very first playback. We had no idea what we were doing, mm-hmm. but it was successful. And then from there, we had members of the staff come up to us. It was like, hey, I'm so-and-so. I work in the legal department. Do you guys, have you guys thought about this? Or do you guys have that? Can, you know, I don't want to intrude, but we were like, nah, help us out. Mm-hmm. So we had people from all the different departments in Atlanta because again, there really hadn't been that much interaction as far as like artist interaction in, mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And they were hungry for it because they knew what, what was going on in the city mm-hmm. and, and what we could be. So like when we brought in Common, they were just like, oh my God, this is what we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. So we had people from like the sales department, marketing, um, legal, mm-hmm all these people just chipping in and using their resources and making sure our paperwork was tight, making sure like we had the proper clearances and, and um, just helping the overall program develop and grow. And it just got to the point where, where we weren't even reaching out to artists Mm -hmm. anymore. Like the labels and artists were hitting us up say, yo, we want to do what you did with Common, yeah. or we, we saw what y'all did with so-and-so. That was a part of their rollout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, hey, we, we saw Jacquees performed up there, and Jacquees actually shouted us out on The Breakfast Club because mm. when he did his playback, he performed, and Keith Sweat introduced him. Oh, wow. And that was the whole King of R&B thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they talked about it two days later on The Breakfast Club, and mm-hmm. he said, shout out to Pandora, that was my playback. Mm yada 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 Mm -hmm. and so it just grew and took on a life of its own and uh we've been fortunate enough once we got back into the office to start doing them again Mm -hmm. and it's just gotten bigger and bigger because now we have the support of like the whole entire company Mm -hmm. so you know the the marketing team has come in and they're like well how can we support and how can we we do this so we did, you know, we, we've been tying them into cultural moments. So in March for Women's History Month, we, we did one with Trina. Mm-hmm. For June, Black Music Month and, and, and Pride Month, we brought in Saucy Santana gotcha. and, and did one with him. And he had, he had that joint off the tape. Right. Um, and uh, it was right before, like, like, right before he got signed and got announced mm-hmm. as a double XL freshman. Mm-hmm. And then we did something with LVRN and Generation Now. We did that at the gathering spot and over 300 people attended that, which was our biggest crowd to that point. Mm -hmm. But we were always looking like, what can we do more? And then we recently did one in the AUC Mm -hmm. for for Spellhouse's homecoming and shout out to Smino. He he, he came through and actually partook in it. And we had 2000 students out there. Mm -hmm. And it just all started from Common wanting to come in the office and and, and playing music and stuff. So, we just been very blessed and fortunate to to create something like that that connects people and gives people from all walks of life the opportunity to touch the artist because yeah. I'm very intentional 
of not just inviting like the industry people mm -hmm. or influencers. I want college students. There. Yeah, for sure. Why? Because I was that college student. For sure. Just wanting to know more about the music industry. So I make sure that we invite people from Georgia State or the mm -hmm. AUC. And now they have music business classes. So mm -hmm. I'll reach out to the professor and be like, hey, we got this going on. Tell some of your students to come through and we'll make sure that they're good. Yeah. No, nah, I think, you know, it's really dope um, for Atlanta. It's, much, it's something that's much needed. Um, being someone who's lived in both L.A. and New York. Yeah. Um, I've seen, you know, and I've worked at the labels in both cities. I mean, I've seen and have been a part of us, you know, doing events and doing activations, um, you know, for people in those cities or even seeing like other platforms, you know, doing those things. Yeah. And when I moved to Atlanta, one of the biggest things that I saw um, that the city was lacking was, you know, representation of the business side of the music industry. Yeah. Um, and so having, you know, companies like yourself where, you know, you're putting together activations where artists can connect with the fans i mean that's you know super important um you know for the culture yeah um so tapping back in man to you know brian calhoun i want to give him a shout out yeah um you know as a as a black exec um as one of the pioneers in digital um someone who definitely you know shared a lot of game with me yeah. you know coming up early um in my career in new media and uh digital marketing digital yeah, media yeah. but just speaking on you know um black executives um you know there's a huge lack of black execs um yeah. in the industry um can you speak on that yeah it's something that i've been very vocal about and something that we have to continue to keep it on the forefront hip-hop by far is pop culture it's the biggest genre in the world but when you look at the representation at the executive level in the C-suite on the board of directors, mm -hmm. it doesn't reflect the amount of revenue that hip hop brings into a lot of these companies. And um, it's something that needs to change. It's something that I'm gonna continue to fight for. Even as an executive, I know there's still levels that I need to reach. Mm -hmm. And it's not just any one particular company. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's the majority of them. And has it gotten better? Yeah, it's gotten better, but it's not where it needs to be. Mm. <clears throat> and um, it's on us to continue to fight, but we can't just do it alone. Mm. Sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll need support from artists, uh, especially the big artists. When they walk in these rooms, and if they don't see any of us, they need to talk about it. They need to say something. They need to apply pressure. I, I, I think Beyonce did something to that effect. I don't want to misquote it, but I think she like walked into some room and didn't see one black person there. And she was just like, I can't do this. Hmm. You know, I forget the exact story, but but I just remember hearing that um, we need more of those those types of, of call outs. Yeah. If we're really going to to change the narrative because we need to we need to be influencing our culture for sure not saying that it should just be all us by ourselves no you need a, a diverse group of leadership because that's you know that that's what what moves whether it's a company or organization or a country forward mm -hmm. you need different points of view absolutely 
Um, but right now, there needs to be more of us at these tables making these decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when I look at it, like even, you know, my way of even comparing the diversity in, uh, in hip hop and the way that it's needed, like some of my heroes, um, Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin, yeah. you know, like people that I looked up to that, that made me want to, you know, step into the business side of this. I mean, these were two totally different people, right. but that can't. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial came together with a common love of the culture yep. and were able to, you know, mix, you know, both of their perspectives yeah. and, you know, lead, I mean, you know, one of the biggest movements or if not the biggest movement in hip hop. E exactly. Been. I mean, look at, look at even more recently, 300, Kevin Lyles and Lior Cohen. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Jimmy Iovine yeah. and, and, and Dr. Dre. Right, right. So it's not saying like, it just needs to be us by ourselves right, in the room, but right. it needs to be diverse. Right. And we need to have input mm -hmm. on these decisions that are being made and where some of these resources are being allocated. Yeah. Okay. So then what would you, um, what advice would you give um, for upcoming uh, executives of color? Yeah, man. I think it's a very exciting time because now you have music business courses mm -hmm. where when I was going to college, that wasn't even a thing. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Thing. You kind of had to figure it out on your own. Mm -hmm. you, you have a network of black executives who went to different colleges and institutions and mm -hmm. HBCUs that you can tap into. So I would say, one, use your resources. Tap into people like myself, people like you, mm -hmm. other people who are in place that have ran the gauntlet or still running the gauntlet, kind of know where the bones are buried and can give you advice. Mm -hmm. I would also say, don't be afraid to make a mistake. Right. I think so many times we think things should be perfect or we envision something a certain way 
And when it doesn't turn out that way, we're like, what, what, what happened? Mm-hmm. What Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Oh. It's so true. And one of the things that I've tried to live by is hold on to your dream tight, but be flexible how you get there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, okay, if I know I'm driving from Atlanta to Washington, D.C., right? And I'm going to take 85 to 95. But let's say there's an accident on 85 and it's all blocked up. Mm-hmm. My navigation is going to take me another route. I'm going to see some different things. It might take me a little bit longer to get there. It might take me shorter to get there. Mm-hmm. It's not the route that I intended to take, but it's still going to get me to my destination. Right. right? Instead of you wouldn't just say, oh, man, 85 is blocked up and you're all the way in North Carolina. I'm going to turn around. Forget this. <laughs> right. I'm not even going to D.C. no more. <laughs> Nobody would do that. Right. Just, you know, be willing to, to, to pivot, be willing to be flexible. I tell certain artists all the time, okay, yeah, your, your music career might not have taken off, but your pen game is dope. Mm-hmm. Why not pen for other artists? Right. You're still in the music game. Mm-hmm. You're still having influence. You're getting a check. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's an even bigger check and you have more longevity and you don't have to deal with like a lot of the <laughs> pressures that come from being uh, a notarized artist. Right. You can still go to the store, you still go to the movies without anybody like pulling up on you or right. asking you for something. Right. Um, that's what I mean by like still being flexible and stuff and understanding what, what your limitations are and, and what your ultimate goals are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, got to be willing to pay those dues and, you know, like come like find someone, find mentors. I think yeah. like that's one of the biggest things is like being able to like tap into people and, you know, find like a mentor type of figure. Yeah, you know? find, find, find the mentors and, and don't be afraid to take the BS jobs. Yeah, I think people come in saying, man, I want to be an A&R. Right. I want to be an A&R. But you don't want to you don't want to work in the mailroom. You don't want to get right. coffee and donuts or whatever. Oh, I'm not working for free. I told you early on, I, I worked my first four years in radio without being on payroll. Yeah, That's when you can do that. Right, you can't right. do that no more. Right. But, <laughs> but, but, but still, be willing to do those jobs. Um, I remember hearing Will Packard speak, and the thing he was talking about was that, that people in the film industry especially people who don't necessarily look like us, they'll work in the, ma- in the mail room mm-hmm. with a law degree mm-hmm. or with a master's degree mm-hmm. and start out in the mail room and work their way up to a showrunner. But they understand it's like, okay, I got to start. I got to get my foot in the building. Right. I just got to be in the building. Yep. I tell people all the time, don't really necessarily focus about getting into this department or that department. Mm-hmm. Find the department that's hiring. And once you get in the building, navigate your way right your way through right because companies are normally hiring from within first exactly <laughs> and you can figure out like okay who i need to talk to right if i want to make that move right but a lot of times and you've worked at the label the hottest job everybody want to be an a and r yeah i remember i wanted to be an a and i didn't even know what a and r does <laughs> i want to be an a and r and then right. you, you pick the beats and all that other stuff <laughs> but it's like okay nobody you never see an A&R position posted on LinkedIn. Never. You're never going to see that. 
you'll see a sales job posted on LinkedIn. Yep. You'll see a digital content uh, yep. <laughs> manager yep. Yep. posted on LinkedIn, but those aren't the sexy jobs. Right. But if you get in there and you, 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 you learn who the decision makers are and you start sitting in on some of those A&R meetings when mm -hmm. you're done taking care of your business, then you can transition over there. Mm -hmm. But if you're just holding out for that position, you're going to be holding out for a long time. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, most definitely. Got to be willing to, like, work your way up. And, yeah, like you said, the journey isn't just a straight line. It ain't know? perfect. Right, right. It's going to be ugly at times. It's going to be times you want to give up. Mm -hmm. But that's where you just have to, like, really pray and ask yourself, okay, is this really for me? Is this mm -hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing? And if it is, then you're going to figure out a way to make it happen. I, I, I'm a firm believer God isn't going to give you a vision without the provision. Mm -hmm. So on the artist side of things, what would you say are like some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen artists make? And, I'm, and you've seen this from both sides. Yeah. You've watched artists come in on the radio side and then now being in the digital space, watching artists, you know, come in in this new era of the game. Yeah. Whew, where do I start? Um, I think one, artists try to compare. Certain artists try to compare themselves to what they see or deem as success. Right. There's already a little baby. There's already a Drake. It's like, who are you? Who's your audience? What's your style? So finding out who they are, mm -hmm. finding out the people that rock with them and taking the steps to do that. I think the other mistake that artists make is they invest so much time into the look or they invest so much into the music that they're not investing in ways to get their music out there. Mm. So instead of going to a club or going to the strip club and throwing five racks in the air and you filming it on IG just to make it look good, right. that five racks could have gone to somebody like you who could have set up a dope digital uh, campaign for them or a Facebook campaign or an influencer campaign to start gaining those fans and getting their music out there. Absolutely. So I think it's just allocation of resources, allocation of funds, um, and then making the mistake of, of saying, okay, if my song gets on this playlist, I'm out of here. Or if my song gets on radio, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. No, you got to build that story up. Right. Right. You got to build that story up. I tried to look out for my people when I first got in the streaming, in the streaming world because I'm thinking, oh, I got all these places I could program their music. But we get the data back so quickly. And if you see their skip rates are high, their, their, mm -hmm. their thumb up ratio is low, mm -hmm. that song will come off as quickly <laughs> right. as you put it on. So... You gotta you gotta establish the story and, and, and build your way up. Yeah. Most most of the time, like as a curator, yeah, we'll step out on certain songs, but we can't step out on everything because right. people want a good listening experience. Right. They right. want to hear stuff that they know and that they can that they can sing to. Yeah. So many people want that instant gratification. Um, want yeah. that? You know. Uh, okay, I paid you. All right, press this button. Press this give button. Give me a million right. views. Give yeah. me a million streams. <laughs> give me the cheat code. Right, exactly. Every, everybody, want, everybody want the cheat code. Most definitely. And, you know, if everybody's using the cheat code, they ain't the cheat code no more. Right. 
not everybody's going to go viral. Right. I mean, that's kind of what happened a few years ago um, with, you know, where um, a lot of the Spotify playlists, um, you know, like people were getting exposed for like running like the fake playlist bots, you know, different things like that. And so that that instant gratification that, you know, turn me up button. (laughs) Turn me up button. But if you look at the artists that really have that really have like a strong fan base and are still very relevant, a lot of them didn't just shoot up overnight right. or just didn't have that one viral moment. And, and that's not going for all of them. I mean, cause right. like, I mean, a good example, uh, Lil Nas X, he had Old Town Road, mm-hmm. but he did the smart thing. He got with a good management team. He got good people around him mm-hmm. and was able to turn that into the superstar that he is. Right. But if you look at like the Jack Harlow's, the Megan Thee Stallions and the little babies and stuff. These were years in development mm-hmm. before they became the superstars and performing and hosting Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. This is years of them doing small clubs or doing shows for free, mm-hmm. getting themselves out there, doing features for you know no money at all and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it goes back to that tree example. They, they put in the work. Yeah. You know, they established their roots and now they're bigger than their music where you have a lot of artists whose songs are bigger than them. Mm-hmm. And if they walk down the street, nobody wouldn't really know who it is, yeah. but they know your song. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be in that position. You want them to, to buy it to you. Right. And your music. Right. Not just your music. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's really like they have to buy into the brand and then they'll want to listen to the music. And exactly. That's what, yeah, that's what a lot of people have to, you know, understand. Like, I'm always, you know, when consulting with people, making sure that they understand, like, the brand is the most important thing. People like you, they'll go to listen to the music. And I'll find you. If you're doing everything right, I'm going to seek you out. I, a, a, a person that, who I have a lot of respect for, that I love the way he's moving, is LaRussell right now. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he's just... It kind of reminds me of like how Chance the Rapper, yeah. when he was first moving around and just how he did things so differently. Yeah, yeah, it sure. wasn't the norm. And he established like this huge fan base mm-hmm. and stuff. I kind of see LaRussell on that because it's not like he's not like going for those viral moments or right, anything like that. Right. He's building that organic yeah. fan base and selling hard copies of a, of a project and making money yeah, off of yeah. it. He's a true definition of grassroots. Grassroots. Yeah. You know, I don't care if you have a million, a million Instagram followers, if you can't move or sell out a venue with 100 people, what good is that, that million followers? Right. You can't sell 100 hard tickets with all those followers. That's not a good conversion ratio. Yeah. I'd rather artists have 20,000 Instagram followers, but they're selling out spaces that can fit 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. That's how you know you have a real good fan base. And I'm talking about hard ticket sales. They paying money to come see you. Yeah. Nah, yeah. His, his movement is it's incredible. Like, I, I haven't seen anything like that in a while. <laughs> I haven't seen anything like that in a while. Like I said, it gives me Chance the Rapper vibes. Not saying that they're doing the same thing, but just the way, like, yeah. when Chance was, was moving around and, 
and, and establishing himself. Mm -hmm. Like nobody had really seen anything like it at that time. Yeah. You know, because he was really tapping into that streaming world and that that indie side mm -hmm. when streaming was still getting its legs and stuff. So it's really interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious to see like what path he takes and the trajectory that he's on. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, what advice would you give um, upcoming artists um, coming up and, you know, with the, with the understanding that streaming is so important, like how should, you know, these artists like go about getting themselves known? Yeah, understanding the different platforms, what they represent, the tools that are available to you, a lot of times people say, oh, I'm going to go to this platform or my streams are going crazy on, over here. But all of them play a key role, whether it's a Pandora, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Deezer, uh, Audio Mac. They all they all cater to different listeners. Mm -hmm. And you don't know as a as a new artist, you don't know where your listeners are going to come from. You don't know where your fan base is going to come from. Mm -hmm. So it would be in your best interest to engage with all these platforms and then take the data from all these platforms and see what overlaps. Mm. Cause you'll, you'll, there might be some differences, but you'll see some common themes like, okay, I'm getting a lot of streams in Austin. Like I have a, I have a good fan base down there. Maybe I need to tap in with that, with that market mm -hmm. or man, this market looks a little shaky, a little weak. Maybe I need to put more, more money or resources into that mm -hmm. instead of going somewhere where I'm already established. Mm -hmm. So really tapping into all the streaming platforms and, and, and getting all that revenue. Uh, I would also say understanding the business mm -hmm. of things, having good people around you, not just a bunch of yes people, because your mama and all, all your cousins and people on the block, they're going to tell you, oh, your music is great. Oh, yeah, man, your, your, your music is fire. Mm -hmm. Get an average person's uh, opinion, somebody that, that doesn't know you right. or anything like that. Right. And if they tell you that they're they not feeling your music, don't get offended. Just, you know, reevaluate yourself. Mm -hmm. um, don't don't use all your money to make a song and don't have any money to left over to market the song. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, get a good distribution. Um, if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's a distribution company to, to distribute your music and understand what level you're on, you know? Um, you know, don't just go to this distribution company because you say, oh, they popped off this person, they popped off that person. They did it for a reason. That mm -hmm. person probably had things going on or was already established and moving themselves. Mm -hmm. And they saw that and was like, okay, we're gonna help take you to the next level. Mm -hmm. But understand what each distribution company offers can you get somebody on the phone if your stuff isn't uploaded right? Mm. These are the little things that people sometimes neglect or artists sometimes neglect or they don't have the people around them right. to, to take care of that. Or they won't, they're not willing to pay 
somebody like yourself that right. understands all that and can handle all that so you can focus on being an artist. Right, right. No, most definitely. Yeah, like those, 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 like some of those small admin things that are like so vital and making sure that in the future you're getting paid for your music because right. all of your songs are registered correctly and That's you've right. got your ISRC codes and like things like that. So Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's all those things. Uh, do you have a sound exchange account? Right. Things like things like that. Mm -hmm. Brian Calhoun to tell you he used to work at Sound Exchange. Mm -hmm. There are people that ha that still haven't picked up their checks and right. just leaving money out there on the table. Right. Right. Making sure your paperwork is right, regardless yeah. uh, if you're signing with a label or not. You know, you want to have a good attorney that understands um, your contracts mm -hmm. and understands how to get you paid. Mm -hmm. So. And if you're just starting out, again, taking the steps, the proper steps to establish yourself. Sure. So if you're starting out with 10 followers, okay, how can I turn that 10 into 20? Mm -hmm. How can I turn that 20 into 100? How can I turn that 100 into 1,000? And always just building. Yeah, not, not looking for the shortcut or the cheat code. Oh, I'm going to buy me 20,000 followers. Yeah. That's gonna get exposed. Nah, exposed, <laughs> yeah. Because you have all those followers, but then when the engagement doesn't match, then it you know you exposed. Exactly. Yeah, it's like getting butt shots in the legs, way skinnier than the ass. <laughs> you know what I'm That's a great example. I'm gonna start using that <laughs> I'm one. I'm telling you. So, um, what, um, like you, you've been someone who's always been forward thinking, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in the game, and uh, you know, all, always, you know, been a few steps ahead. Um, where do you think the future of music uh, lies? Man, I think about that a lot. I think it's, it's forever changing, especially now because technology is changing so rapidly. So, I mean, four years ago, who would have thought that TikTok would have the influence that it has on, on the music game? Right. Um, 10 years ago, who would have thought streaming would have the influence that it has? So it's always thinking about, okay, what, what's next? Can't really predict it, but you can kind of see what's going on. I mean, you have the metaverse, mm -hmm. um, which hasn't taken off the way people expected it to, but it's still there. It's still growing. Um, you know, you, you, you're still gonna have platforms like TikTok that, that influence algorithms or influence uh, people's listening mm -hmm. on streaming platforms and stuff. Um, you know, I don't have the, the, the clear answer, mm -hmm. but what I, what I will say is just pay attention to the technology. Because usually where the technology is going is where, is where the music or, or, or the next wave of music patterns go. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing like this new social media platform pop up, not saying you got to go all the way in, but at least look into it. Right. Because again, three years ago, nobody was really thinking about TikTok like that. But now it's like it's, it's breaking artists. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I say look into the metaverse. Is it as big as what people think it could be? No, not yet. But it, it might get there one day. It might explode next year. You mm -hmm. never know. Mm -hmm but you at least want to know about it and have a foothold in it. So that's kind of my thing is just like, keep your eyes open and never, never be stuck in like what's happening now or what's hot right now or what's like trending right now. We don't know where, where TikTok is going to be 
in three or four years. It might right. be something new. It might regress or it might be even bigger. We just don't know. Right. I can dig it. Um, J1, you got any uh, you got any other shout outs? Anybody want to shout out? Man, shout out to you, bro. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing for the culture. And I love the fact that you're giving different artists opportunities to to speak on your platform and stuff. So and, and giving me this opportunity. So shout out to you. We, we, we need more 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 influencers and bloggers like yourself here in Atlanta, uh, because we talked about New York and L.A. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have to feel like they got always got to go out there right. to make their press runs. Right. And yes, they're very important markets, but we have a lot of culture. We have a lot of artists down here and we have a lot of media outlets that 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 connect to people all over the world. Absolutely. So, you know, continue to do what you're doing. And, you know, I just say shout out to God, man. Always, always give my praises to God. That's what's up. The big God. Yes. That's what's up. All right, y'all. We got J1 dropping off the porch with us. Yes. We out. All my life. Been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, baby. 92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at one peloton.com slash home dash trial need weekend plans to get spring ready make Lowe's your weekend destination this spring with weekending at Lowe's stop by for free activities and workshops including our upcoming raised garden bed workshop this month we're celebrating with fun events like spring fest egg venture where you can enjoy Easter treats for the whole family visit Lowe's.com slash events for this month's full lineup Count on Lowe's for all of your home improvement needs. And now, activities in your community with Weekending at Lowe's. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.